0: Can we get to zero waste? Is it even something to aspire to? Isn't some waste inevitable? Think of things like Apple cores. There are people who believe we can get to zero waste, or at least should try, and we're going to talk to one of them today. My name is Mike von Masso, and this is Food Focus Podcast. I'm taking some time off, and this week my colleague Mark Wixson speaks to Laura Nash, a champion of the zero waste movement. You can find her on Twitter and Instagram at zero underscore waste underscore countdown and her radio show of the same name. They talk about her motivations and experience, what zero waste means, and where things are going. We're excited that Food Focus continues to grow and appreciate your support. If you like the podcast, we'd love it if you took a moment to give us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Check out our website too, foodfocusguelph.com. We've got great content from a variety of contributors, and you can contact us to let us know if there are topics you'd like to read or hear about. Thanks again for listening, and here now is Mark's conversation with Laura.
1: Hi, Laura. Uh, Thanks for taking the time to talk with us today. To get started, can you just tell us a little bit about who you are? And what you do?
2: Hi, Mark. Yeah, thank you. So, I'm Laura Nash, and I host and produce the Zero Waste Countdown podcast and radio show. It's almost coast to coast. It should be coast to coast soon, and we're downloaded uh, from all over the world. And I live a zero waste lifestyle, uh, which means I'm I'm trying to get to zero waste. I'm certainly not there. (laughs) But uh, yeah, that's sort of my main goal is just to find out how we can produce less waste and garbage and pollution. And I bring someone new on my show all the time uh, to discuss their inventions or their policies or their businesses, uh, anything really that they have going on that has found a solution to reduce trash.
1: So you focus more um, with your show and productions on your your specific, your individual lifestyle, right? Like how you... Laura Nash, can reduce your waste?
2: Well, I don't like hearing my own voice too much, so i more <laughs> focus on other people. So in the beginning of my show, I would do like a little thing at the end of my episode where I'd say something that I eliminated from my life. So, you know, one time I, I found apples that were local that didn't have the stickers on them. So I, you know, I wouldn't buy apples in a plastic bag. I use a cloth bag, but then I even eliminated the stickers. So it's it, I was giving these little things in my own life, but I would say I'm more focused on what other people are doing.
1: Yeah, those uh, those pesky stickers are uh, the bane <laughs> of I think a lot of municipal composting organizations.
2: I find them in mine even, and I'm so careful to take them off. And then every once in a while, I'll see them. And I use mine for like really good gardening compost. So yeah, I'm always so I'm like, oh, how did I miss that one?
1: <laughs> so so, what got you into zero waste?
2: So I was a whitewater kayaker for a long time. So I've kayaked on the Nile and I've been down to the Amazon River, I've been up in uh, on the Great Slave River and down in Patagonia on the big rivers down there and you know Europe, Australia, America. So I grew up seeing river pollution, but it wasn't too bad when I was a teenager. But it's just gotten so much worse. I just hiked Machu Picchu last year, and the real Bumbo, we hiked along at four days to get to Machu Picchu, and the eddies were just full of trash. And yeah, it's kind of sad to see. And the Amazon River is incredibly filled with plastic. Uh, They are using so much plastic, and they're not really doing anything with it. Uh, It's just kind of all going in the river. So just from traveling around and seeing that we have this really big worldwide problem was really uh, what got me into zero waste. But then also there was another side to it. So when I had a baby nine years ago, I was just studying to find out how to make this baby healthy. And something I came across was the BPA that's in a lot of plastic that we're giving to our kids and and plastic packaging. And uh, BPA is an endocrine disruptor, um, bisphenol A. And it's a failed contraception from the 1940s. Um, so it kind of really messes with your hormones. It's linked to things like diabetes and uh, attention deficit hyperactive disorder. Um, just these things that I didn't think were very good to be giving a baby. Uh, so there was kind of two aspects. So like the nature aspect and then the health aspect as well.
1: Well, and that's really interesting too, because you have this macrocosm of basically seeing, you know, what what haven't humans touched with pollution across the world? And then you also have your, your microcosm of what, you know, your individual actions can do to uh, give your, your child a good start.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: On, on the topic of, of some of your travels, what is the most egregious wasteful thing you have ever seen? Is something that, you know, like that breaks your heart? What's what's the thing that shocked you the most?
2: Definitely the Amazon jungle, yeah, because I I grew up reading tales of, you know, exploration and uh, deep in the jungle and like there are still tribes there that are uncontacted. I got to visit um, some tribes that are contacted and they kind of show show us different things and how to live sustainably with the world and they knew how to do it. They have this soil called terra preta that has proven to be thousands of years old. So it was human-made, and it's soil in the Amazon, and you can see human feces, basically, which is kind of gross. Um, <laughs> but they, they found, I guess, you know, that that was being used with fish bones and food waste and broken pottery. So for thousands of years, the people in the Amazon were turning their waste into soil, which was then growing the jungle and growing crops and stuff like that. And so just to learn their amazing history and then see that it's been totally polluted with plastic. Like people are are drinking out of little plastic bags with plastic straws in them and then throwing them in the river. Um, they are just wrapping everything in plastic. Like it's just it's just like here, right? Their, their lifestyles are very similar. Yeah. And there's just like no waste disposal there. So yeah, that was definitely heartbreaking to see that that like fast single-use consumption lifestyle has reached like every area almost of the world um, because it's deep in the Amazon jungle. So yeah, it's a problem.
1: (laughs) On the subject of, you know, ancient soil, I think this is something that, that comes up a lot in zero waste movement or really just anybody, if they don't call themselves that, just who's trying to be more environmentally conscious of people hundreds, thousands of years ago have, have done in a way better than we have, yet they lack any of the technological progress we've made. How, how can how can these civilizations past be doing it better than us? So I guess my question is is, going forward, do you think a lot of waste reduction and zero waste movement will be sort of predicated on looking backwards?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. I think a lot of it is. I think we're losing a lot of knowledge, and we really need to look to our ancestors to find out what they were doing. However, our ancestors, a lot of them would like die by 40. Um, there were a lot of diseases <laughs> and bad things going on, right? And food shortages. Like
1: We, we shouldn't adopt everything.
2: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So how, I guess the question is more, how do we go forward knowing what we know and, and being able to have these food supply chains that feed everyone? Because if you just go back to a thousand years ago, we... I don't know if we can feed everybody using those processes. So I think it's a mix of using old stuff with new technology, and I think the answers will be combining both.
1: In sort of your your journeys, your travels, and your interviews, have you kind of seen that in um, sort of the product uh, inventions that you've come across that people are trying to really use high tech to supplement what we do?
2: Totally. Yeah. Uh, There's a lot of like apps that are being developed. So there's one in Toronto. It's called Feedback App. And you can just see any restaurants that are selling off their food. Uh, So let's say you have a big order of salmon. Maybe not that many people came into the restaurant that week, you know. And so this restaurant might have a whole bunch of salmon. They can get rid of it or they can offer it at like a, you know, a 50% discount in real time. And then people can see that on the app and then be like, oh, look, you know, like 500 meters from me, there's uh, there's really cheap like salmon sushi right now. Let's go get it. So there's like little things like that. Um, there's smart waste bins that are being implemented in a lot of places in the U.S. I think it was Alitas, the company that was doing that. So instead of just sending the dirty diesel burning trucks around on a schedule all the time to pick up these bins that are maybe like a quarter full.
1: Oh, okay.
2: Yeah, they'd have sensors so that they only get picked up when they're full. So it would save like a ton of uh, non-necessary driving around um, and then probably save on like waste blowing away too. Like if a if a bin is full all the time and it's, you know, I'm sure you've seen bins too too full and things are blowing off and stuff. Um, so yeah, I think that there's technology like that. And of course, like I'm a Elon Musk fan, so I'm always kind of like interested in what he's doing and he's pretty interested in and making things good for the environment too. So,
1: Well, and, and that's kind of an interesting point with the uh, reducing the truck's uh, mileage too, because, you know, it's not always a, a zero-sum game. I think some opponents of waste reduction say like, you know, you actually have to reduce, you're sacrificing something in order to be more sustainable. But really, like those examples you just listed, they're, they're actually just, you know, making what we already do more efficient. You still get the salmon sushi. Yeah. You just get it from the place before they have to throw it out.
2: And you save money. So it's like even better. <laughs> so
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a win, win, win for everyone.
2: I had a guest on the show that said, like, how do we live sustainably but without living any worse off? Yeah. And I think that that's kind of key because then you're right. You're not taking things away from people. And so I think they're more apt to be on board if their lifestyles get a little better.
1: To, to that point, too, of I, I mean, sometimes like it's a bit of a it's a bit of a big ask sometimes for some of the the people to buy in i i for example do try to reduce my waste um but you know there's i love my mr noodles and they come in <laughs> that awful plastic packaging that for the life of me i don't think anywhere can recycle it
2: yeah there is a place uh TerraCycle. you can get a TerraCycle cycle box and just like mail it in and they'll turn it into plastic lumber
1: they'll take anything this company
2: pretty much yeah
1: Oh, okay. They
2: take, like, cigarette butts. Uh, sometimes in certain places they'll take gum, which is disturbing that there's plastic in gum. Oh, yeah, that,
1: that kind of is, actually.
2: <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, that it's, it's hard with, like, cultural things, too. Like, if that's part of your life that you love, like Mr. Noodles, you know, maybe one day there will be Mr. Noodles that have better packaging. Um, but mm-hmm. if you really love them, then maybe you can, you know, reduce other things
1: right like i guess that's true yeah. yeah
2: and then you get to keep what you love <laughs>
1: on the topic of you know the buying in what what are some of the demographics you see actually engaging with with what you do with your messaging and with zero waste in general like young old men women
2: yeah most of my listeners are millennial and then we get some gen z's and a few boomers in there as well which is nice so kind of all over, but I'd say mostly millennial and a lot of new moms. So I think a lot of of moms have the same concerns that I did. They don't want to be giving toxins to their children. And also, I think when you are having babies, you kind of think, well, what kind of world am I going to leave behind? Not that you have to have a baby to think that way at all, but I think it just sort of triggers people into that sort of thoughts I've noticed. So yeah, I would say, say more of that. But I mean you can look at festivals where it's all Gen Z people pretty much and the festival grounds afterward are just covered in trash. Yeah, like I don't know. If- exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so there's that and then you know sometimes I'll be in line behind some boomers and they will have like 10 plastic bags of stuff and put it in another plastic bag and I just wonder if if they will ever change but then there's there's people in that generation who are working really hard to save the environment so they can certainly come from all aspects.
1: That's one thing I found kind of interesting. So I attended one of your talks back in January, and I I was surprised at uh, the demographics. Now it was put up; it was supported by a different group. Oh but yeah. I was one of the few people who didn't have gray hair, <laughs> and I was genuinely surprised.
2: Yeah, yeah. There's a, a very good active community in the Belleville area. I find that are just they like to get involved with different things, so that's nice. But I don't find there's like a whole lot of youth there, and like I I left when I was 17 and came back when I was 26. So I think a lot of people kind of, it's a great place to grow up. It's a great place to go to high school. And then I think a lot of people go away for school or go away for jobs and stuff like that are in that kind of youthful age. Um, so yeah, I just don't notice a whole lot of people like my age and younger that are there yeah. so much. Um, but yeah, that's that's interesting uh, that you noticed. But yeah, there, were, um, there was an older crowd there and that was really nice to see. And I think People kinda in that demographic, a lot of people kind of had no idea about the issues that were going on. So I, I got an email saying that. So it's kind of nice.
1: <laughs> to jump gears a little bit to, to focus more on on younger people. So with, with millennials, a big impact is from social media. It's from influencers on YouTube. And you know, I'm it's a bit of a guilty pleasure. I do follow some of them. I watch what they do. They present a very like polished, minimalistic lifestyle of zero waste where it's almost like you have to go out and buy more to live with less
2: yeah have you sort
1: of seen that
2: yeah you can do that for sure if you want it may it makes it look nicer like you know those cupboards that you see where everything is perfectly aligned in these perfect matching glass containers and everything's labeled with (laughs) a label maker like i'm not good at art and (laughs) i'm not like fancy like that. Like I've never been very good at, or like, I don't want to say I'm not good at organizing cause I am, but I just, I don't know. I can't get my covers to look that good. So I just like, don't focus on it. Uh, I <laughs> also use, um, like older containers and used containers. So a lot of my glass jars will have like labels half ripped off. And like, I just haven't bothered to like scrub them to make them look perfect because it's on the outside.
1: I'm a big follower of these strained, uh, tomatoes in glass bottles. They are a perfect size for the pantry.
2: Right. Yeah, you can use those things forever and you can freeze things in them. I freeze in glass all the time. Uh, If you're going to do that, just make sure that uh, you leave plenty of room or your glass will probably explode. It needs expansion room. (laughs) Uh, I learned that the hard way. But most glass, I mean, maybe I break one or two things a year and I put almost everything in glass in the freezer. So... (laughs) Those jars are are really great. And, you know, there's some things that are plastic that I use that aren't pretty. So, like, I have a plastic salad spinner that I love. It makes my lettuce last longer when it's nice and clean and dry in the fridge. And, you know, you can have really nice cloth bags or you can have, like, ones that aren't that nice. Maybe just make sure they're clean, especially in this COVID time. Yeah. You can make it expensive or you can actually use the zero-waste lifestyles to save a lot of money, actually, which is nice.
1: Yeah, yeah, you you find that you know living a zero waste lifestyle, you you likely save money, right?
2: I was finding that I was saving a lot of money, and I was also really, I really got healthy. Like, I haven't really been sick like since I started the podcast nearly three years ago. Like, maybe I had a cold, like a cold once or something, but I just find my immune system is so much better because when you switch from zero waste, you're switching from like packaged processed foods to Really like fresh, healthy stuff. So, when I go to the grocery store, I just kind of pick whatever veggies are not in plastic. So, I eat a lot of veggies and fruit that doesn't come in any packaging. And then uh, we get meat from our local butcher. And then I get like beans and rice and quinoa and that sort of thing from the bulk barn. So, I'm eating just like a lot of foods that are very like natural. And it's just really made a big difference in how healthy I am, which is uh really nice i d- I didn't expect that actually
1: <laughs> the the unintended consequences of zero waste is you're you're eating better <laughs> absolutely yeah, yeah, to the point of um processed foods, you know I have found it is anxiety inducing and it is frustrating going to a grocery store and you want you want some kind of convenience food, but all of its convenience means packaging. And, you know, do you have do you have a vision of the future where, you know, there is a convenience food that is uh, package free? Like, have, have you come across that in any of your travels?
2: Totally. Yeah. Like apples are awesome. So th- sometimes the cashier gives me a weird look because I'll buy like $50 of apples at once, like a, a huge block <laughs> bag of them. Cause really like me and my son will eat an apple every day. Right. So that's like 14 apples a week. So I need to buy quite a few apples, but uh, usually I yeah. don't leave the house without an apple. So when I leave the house, I'll bring a water bottle, uh, usually a coffee mug, cloth bags, I will bring some containers and I will also bring a snack. And that way I'm not tempted to say, go through the drive through of McDonald's or something. If I'm hungry, I can just pull out that apple and then it kind of saves me until I can get home or to a restaurant or something, right? Where I can eat zero waste.
1: You're you're basically saying, you know, plan ahead and you can reduce waste.
2: Yeah. And it's so hard. Like it sounds easy <laughs> but then when you try it, uh, it's, you're like, oh my gosh, I forgot that again. Like it just happens yeah, all the yeah. time that you forget. And, and that's what's, well, I mean, it depends on how good you are at it. Like it can be the tricky part or it can be the easy part of changing behavior. And so like the easy things to do are like, like I said, like I have a bag. So my water bottle, coffee mug, other cloth bags, containers, <laughs> and that apple will always fit in this certain bag. So I just kind of never leave home without it. And it's just a habit I got into and yeah, it's saved a ton of waste. Because 'Cause I'm a stress eater also. I'm not sure if I mentioned that at the show, but if I get stressed out, <laughs> I really want a snack.
1: You have that apple. <laughs> yeah,
2: it's really probably saved me a, a lot of garbage and stress.
1: <laughs> but you also mentioned, uh, you know, you bring your coffee mug in that bag. I also am a reusable coffee cup uh user. Good. Well, I, I used to be. How do you how do you think COVID has changed things? Because I can't use my coffee cup anymore if I do go out. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean, that's too bad. COVID has really thrown everything out the window. So I am buying a little more packaging now. So I can't go to Bulk Barn and fill up my own containers. So I just haven't really been going there. I've changed my eating habits a little bit. The mugs are, are interesting. I think everything will get back to normal soon. So once it does, we can start bringing our mugs again. Hopefully, there's not too much backlash against mugs. Like, I don't think they're as dirty as people think. I know the virus can live just as easily on plastic or like other materials. Uh, so we'll see. Yeah, I hope the bulk barn does return their container program. If they don't, it's going to be a very difficult thing for me to go back to zero
1: waste. It'll be a blow to the zero waste movement.
2: It ha- it really has been, yeah. Like if you think of all the PPE and stuff, but I mean, medical equipment, like go for it. Like if you need, oh, that's yeah, that's true. If you need to produce garbage to keep people safe and healthy, like that's fine. I go for more of the low hanging fruit, so they say. Like you know, order a drink at a restaurant and say no straw, or uh, just bring your own stuff. You know, um, but yeah, medical industry. I I I'm not a medical expert, so I don't I don't want to really go into that and and those people kind of need some. Well,
1: that, but that sort of goes back to the point you made earlier of, you know, if there's one thing like your Mr. Noodles that you don't really want to waste, then reduce in other areas. Like we we need to create some sort of amount of medical waste. So let's focus on the stuff we can reduce.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because people have different lives and different things that they need. And, you know, if there's something that you need, yeah, focus on, on something else. Like uh, if you can't afford an electric car, you know, drive your regular car and I don't know, like maybe try to reduce your trash or, you know, there's just like lots of, or like go, go for a shoreline cleanup or, or something. There's lots of stuff that we can do. And then there's some stuff that people can't do. So it's good not to be judgy. I think when people are trying to do good things, but then some things you can see or not.
1: And from the sounds of it, you think anybody can really engage in, in the zero waste movement, right?
2: Yeah, there's being more and more products coming out that make it easier, and more zero waste shops, and you know, shampoo bars. That's an easy switch. Yeah, uh, it gets you know, it cleans up your shower. You don't need those bottles anymore. It, as long as you can find a place to buy those things, then yeah, a lot of people can can get on board, and you can still have that life quality. Like you can still have super clean hair. <laughs> you just don't have to use the garbage, right?
1: To jump track a little bit, um, at your talk, you mentioned uh, one thing that I, I thought was really interesting, and it's it's also, you know, almost terrifying in a way. You mentioned sort of the full impact of your decisions, what you call the upstream and downstream effects. Oh, yeah. Can Can you talk about that a little bit?
2: Yeah. So it's almost like blind spots in our lives, right? So let's say we're buying a package of rice. There is a lot of things that rice has done before it gets to us. And then that is like what I kind of consider upstream. I guess this is like my kayaking days is like all the stuff that came before me Uh and before I bought that package of rice. And then there's the downstream stuff of like, where does that package go afterward? Did I waste some of the rice? Is it being composted? Is it going to go sit in a landfill for hundreds of years and produce methane as it decomposes? Um, But the upstream part, like if you think about, the rice, for example, like, was it a truck that brought it to the grocery store? Where did that truck get it? Did it come by rail? Did that rail come by a big, dirty tanker uh, that's burning, you know, dirty bunker fuel and uh, came across the ocean? And then what were the growing conditions like over there? Are people being paid fairly? Do they have a dictator for for a government? Are they using fertilizers? Are they safe? Are they getting paid well? Like, there's all these different questions that when you start to ask, it's like opening up a can of worms or going down the rabbit hole or whatever saying you want to use, it can really kind of blow your mind when you start thinking about where these products come from and if it's ethical to purchase it or not. And then what the ethical part is of getting rid of that product when you're done with it.
1: Yeah. And especially, you know, and that's just one product, right? That's just the one bag of rice. And then you have to ask those same questions for your entire grocery cart.
2: Right, And yeah, for
1: not even just you. your food either, anything really.
2: Oh, yeah. It definitely goes to anything like different products and, and clothing and all that stuff. But yeah, food is uh, interesting. Um, so I try to just buy local as much as I can because it reduces that travel carbon footprint. And also I, I trust our standards. Not to say that other other countries don't have good standards, but I'm not there, and I don't really know about their standards. Like I haven't, like you know, I have a pair from Argentina. I haven't really looked into the Argentinian pear growing uh, regulations. You know?
1: And you might not also even know where your products from because it might say Argentina, but maybe it was shipped there from somewhere else.
2: Ooh, can that happen? I didn't know that.
1: Probably not for food, but for at least uh, you know other products.
2: Yeah. And, and, you know, some of these other countries can still use a lot of the harsh chemicals that we've kind of abandoned in, uh, in places like Europe and the United States and Canada. So are they still using these bad chemicals? Like, what's on our, I don't know. There's just a lot of questions. So, yeah, just to alleviate some of that upstream headache of like, is this product an ethical thing to purchase? I just try to focus more on local stuff. It takes out some of the guessing game even though there are, of course, you know, kind of bad practices you can do even here in Canada. Um, I just kind of think maybe there's less leeway to do bad things here. And of course, it's supporting our local economies and people and neighbors and stuff if we can get food that's that's close to us.
1: And in that, in that same vein, you know, something I've seen pop up is, you know, this far extreme take that you know there's no such thing as ethical consumption, right? Really? But you know I think the gist from what I've gotten from you is there is a way to do it, right?
2: Yeah, what well, like I don't uh yeah I would I would say that there totally is an ethical way like if you can if you can find out that uh I did an episode on flowers for example that a lot of roses our roses come from Ecuador and they're still using some pretty harsh chemicals there and so is it ethical to buy a product that's like you know killing off their their flora and fauna to grow these roses and and exposing the women. It was mostly women that worked in the industry. Uh, you're exposing them to like really harsh levels of the, the chemicals and stuff. So, and then you got to wrap them in plastic. They got to be refrigerated. They're coming from thousands of miles away. Is that an ethical purchase? I mean, those girls are getting paid, so that's nice. But, you know, maybe you could just buy some some flowers that grow in Niagara. Or something else I don't know, uh yeah, the ethics is very interesting because it, it like I said, it is a bit of a rabbit hole when you start to think about like weighing out your choices and and like my ethics might be different than your ethics and and we see that in the the vegan movement, right like they have some some of them are fairly militant about their ethics, whereas some people aren't like I have chickens and they lay eggs and we have this symbiotic relationship where I feed them really good food and and keep them sheltered and warm and make sure they have fresh water and they have a huge area they have sand they dug a hole in the sand and they like have these sand baths and just have a great time and they eat bugs and they go around in the leaves they have trees for shade like they just have such a great life and I get two eggs for breakfast every morning.
1: <laughs> so, it's a win-win relationship again.
2: <laughs> totally, and it's it's not hurting them or anything, you know. So like I would argue that ethically like that's good, but I would argue that some eggs are not so ethical because I don't think the chickens are in very good conditions and they might be suffering, you know. So, yeah, I'm I'm curious like what what was the argument that nothing is ethical when you purchase it? Like what's the counter argument to to me saying that uh you can make ethical decisions
1: well so i think the the gist from what i get uh, you know this is primarily online uh, but i have had a few in person exchanges where you know people are suspicious of yeah you know, almost like a greenwashing of um, waste reduction and environmentalism that you know as soon as big corporations got involved in in trying to change their image that it's inherently unethical. You you can't. It's almost like this conspiracy that you can't trust big companies.
2: Ah, okay, yeah, I get it. Yeah, there is a lot of greenwashing that I see. Like, I I got uh, this compostable bowl of food in downtown Toronto one day, and it said our our forks are compostable, our bowls are compostable, but then they just have a trash bin and all of the trash <laughs> goes in there. So the plastic, those, those bowls, the food waste, all of it. And it's all going to one place, I would assume. So even though they've spent more money yeah. getting these compostable bowls, they're not actually composting them. Right. <laughs> so like, what's and the then, then they
1: can charge a premium.
2: <laughs> yeah. And then it's greenwashing. They can maybe bring in people who care about the environment or who, who want to look good and being green. It, but yeah, it's greenwashing. There's there's a lot of that, but some of them are like incremental differences that are better than no differences. So it's like a start, I guess.
1: Yeah one one nice saying I've always heard from zero waste people is, uh, "It's not about one person reducing their waste a hundred percent. It's about a lot of people reducing their waste a little bit, you know, or a moderate amount."
2: That's so nice. Yeah, that's that's why I call my show the countdown because it's it's it, I I feel like zero waste is like chasing the rainbow, the end of the rainbow. Like, are you ever going to get there? I mean, probably not, but, but imagine all the trash you'll save on the way and the the people that will also see you doing good things and maybe they'll adopt, you know, bringing their own mug or whatever. And, uh, it really is contagious. And yeah, I don't know anyone who, who produces zero waste. Like I, I was doing really well in my house, uh, last year and then I had to change my furnace filter. <laughs> like, so you know, there's these things that come up and I guess there are reusable, washable ones. So like I'm kind of looking into that, but uh, there's just a lot of unexpected trash that comes into our lives and, you know, just got to deal with it.
1: To backpedal a little bit, um, you're kind of talking about ethics really. And funnily enough, I I wrote a blog post on the Food Focus website a few months back called Do Good or Derogation and kind of talking about how when somebody acts ethically or at least tries to act ethically, there's always a bit of pushback. You know, for example, vegetarians and vegans, sometimes there's pushback because, you know, why are you introducing ethics around animal agriculture? Have you kind of experienced a bit of pushback because you're trying to introduce at least, you know, a system of ethics for yourself into how you consume?
2: Yeah, for sure. So the meat thing is interesting uh, there's pushback because you're attacking someone's culture so like when you're you know your grandparents and your parents eat a certain way and you get nostalgia from that and you respect your your elders and all this stuff uh, when people attack meat it's you're often getting your ancestors attacked as well if that's the way they ate i find so people are very sensitive about diet. So it's it's tough like I would be careful if you're going to at- attack people's diets because I've seen probably the most pushback in that. But I've seen people say, "Oh, I'm going to buy a box of straws and throw them in the ocean just because California's banning them." <laughs> like I you know I have and, and there is a bit of that pushback like it, people say that it's their rights. Like they they should have the right to to have a straw. Like you have a right to bring your own straw. Like no one's saying you can't use straws. We're saying we shouldn't be putting a billion into production and and using them and throwing them out every single day and getting new ones and that it's a bad problem. So like, let's solve the problem, you know, like, but yeah, I do see a bit of pushback. It doesn't bother me at all because I have thick skin. I had a grocery store reject my containers one day. So they were like, no, that's a health issue. And it's not. And it's not written into the policy of the grocery store that they can't put cheese in my container. But for this lady's ethics, like her health ethics were she was going to stand on that hill and and not bow to my ethics of not using plastic. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you get that <laughs> for sure.
1: And, and to that point, too, store policies. I mean, it's it doesn't sound like a big deal, but, you know, gosh almighty, I wish there was a lot more, you know, uh, chain-wide policies because they're just put a sign on the front door that says we don't accept reusable containers or we do. It's always a bit of a guessing game.
2: It is, yeah
1: have you Have you found like a lot of frustrating moments like that with with inconsistent policy?
2: Yeah, I'd kind of if you if you push for the policy, then I think it'd be easier for everyone to just put a sign on the door that says no containers. So sometimes like you know that old thing that's maybe a bad thing, but it's better to uh, beg for forgiveness than to ask for permission. So sometimes (laughs) I'll catch people off guard at like the deli counter or something and they will look at my container and kind of just think for a minute. You can see the wheels turning and then they'll shrug and be like, sure. You know, they like think it over and they're like,
1: just act like you belong kind of thing.
2: Totally, yeah. So sometimes it's just easier to do things on our own without policy. Um, (laughs) But I see what you're saying. Yeah, it would maybe be, Easier. I'm just worried that maybe all grocery stores would say no containers, and then where am I going to shop? Zero waste? I don't know.
1: <laughs> yeah, ex- yeah, exactly. Yeah, sure, shot yourself in the foot by bringing up a conversation. Maybe, yeah, uh, yeah. And Justin, in my notes too, from uh, uh, the talk I attended back in January, from you, you said something that that actually really stuck with me. You touched on it a little bit earlier in this talk. The gist of it is that developing nations, uh, regions of the world, have adopted sort of the Western practice of single-use plastic, but they simultaneously haven't adopted uh, the waste management infrastructure that we have. Can you talk about what that means and, and what the effects are?
2: Yeah, it's a little bit sad. So, there's there are these big, big companies that push into new areas. So, you know, Nestle, Coca-Cola, McDonald's, places like this, where they just see the business opportunity. So, they come in and they create all this garbage that Municipalities and cities and stuff just aren't used to processing, and those companies don't take any responsibility for where that garbage ends up. So then it's sort of left to taxpayers basically to try and deal with this stuff, or um, I suppose some private facilities as as well, and like waste management um, companies that are private, they will they will uh, they'll kind of step in, but a lot of places I've seen just don't have the -the state-of-the-art infrastructure. So you can look on Story of Stuff Project. That's a good website. They had pictures a while ago of a tofu kind of factory, but it wasn't a factory at all. It was like little huts with fat roofs, and they had just black, black smoke pumping out the chimney, and they were using plastic bottles as fuel because it's cheap and readily available, but no filter whatsoever, right? Oh whereas we have like our incinerators have like very, very good filters, and uh, we do have landfills, so we're burying it, but landfills are very problematic as well as as you know. so, We're better at getting it out of sight and out of mind. Like we're better at putting it in these garbage bags at our curb and then it's just gone. And then other people are dealing with it. And we're always just trying to hide it and bury it and stuff. And a lot of places, yeah, they just don't have that. Like islands. uh, I think I put a picture in the presentation of Grand Cayman Island. I was there two years ago. And the highest point on the island now is a dump. And the dump towers above every other part of the island. It's super disturbing. So, like, where are they supposed to put their their garbage? And the coral is excellent for snorkeling and diving around. I think that coral is probably getting the leachate from the dump by now. And I, I've heard that it is, but I, I can't confirm. And then uh, the Port Authority, like, everywhere I go, people are still using plastic. And they don't recycle any any of it that I saw. So, if you need a drink there, you got to buy it in plastic and then throw it in the trash. And so, I just see all these tourists coming and, like, leaving their mark. Like, they'll have a cup or they'll have a bag of chips or something and then kind of like place it on the the giant towering mountain of trash i mean it gets put in a bag and driven there but it's like we're all contributing to it when we visit uh but what's interesting about grand cayman is that there are a lot of uh millionaires and i think even billionaires that that live there right it's a, a kind of like one of those tax havens i guess they don't really have like tax there so it's not just the developing countries. It's also like very rich people (laughs) that are producing a lot of garbage. Like these people have like, you know, these really nice houses and millions of dollars and they don't care that there's a dump that's bigger than everything else in their backyard. So.
1: And I think you made a really good point too. What, What, what we're really good at, you know, in Canada, in the, in the Western world, we're really good at hiding our trash. We're really good at hiding our dirty laundry. What impact do you think it would have on people? You know, I've been thinking about doing a waste audit of myself, just literally, you know, itemize all the trash and recycling and food waste I create. You know, what kind of impact do you think that would have on people if they actually saw how much waste they produce in a month, in a year?
2: I've heard that that's the number one thing that people should do is start the waste audit. I didn't really do one myself too much because I've just been low waste for so long, but I definitely hear very good results. So yeah, you just kind of keep everything that you waste instead of throwing it where you normally throw it. Maybe just keep it in one centralized pile or something, but it's going to be tough and kind (laughs) of gross depending on what you throw out, right? Yeah, Separating food scraps is like just one of the best things you can do and like kind of one of the easiest And you don't really have to change your lifestyle too much. You just have to have a pile or have a sign up for a green bin program. And if your city doesn't offer one, like some of them, some of us in Canada get our scraps taken away for free. I have my own in my yard. But then also there are private companies that you can sign up to and pay a little money and they'll come and take it once a week from your house or your office or whatever. I think that the audit is a very good thing. And actually Greenpeace did an audit in Canada two years ago, or no, it was last year, it was in 2019, and they found the most littered items in Canada are number one from Nestle, number two from Tim Hortons, uh, number three from Starbucks, number four from McDonald's, and number five from Coca-Cola.
1: None of that surprises me.
2: <laughs> I thought Tim Hortons would have been ahead of Nestle, so that I was surprised by that, just because I see Tim Hortons' cups everywhere i go in canada
1: <laughs> once i was on a walk with my girlfriend and we counted about 45 i think down one stretch of a uh, country road
2: oh no and where is that like what area
1: uh it, it's west end uh, by avonlaw
2: oh in belleville oh yeah yeah so
1: it, it's not even yeah, yeah so it's not it's not even truly um rural it's it's pretty you know it's it's developed but people just drive down there and i presume throw their coffee cups out the window
2: Mhm. So like is it is it the person who throws it out the window or is it the company that sells it with like full well knowing that these are going to end up everywhere, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, who 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 actually shoulders the blame? Well, and and to that, you know, how much uh how much blame do you put on corporations compared to individuals?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it's both, and I think it's a, a big part of the consumer. I'd say it's a little more on the consumer, but definitely very close to like half and half, and that's because let's say the grocery store has tomatoes, half are in plastic, half aren't. If nobody buys the tomatoes in plastic, the grocery store isn't going to sell them anymore. Like that's how supply and demand works, right? But kind of the problem is like, I don't think everybody's ever going to all get on board with this, with with shopping. Like we said, like thinking about the ethics of of the things that we buy and the downstream impacts of the stuff we buy. So what part is the maker supposed to have responsibility. Um, some companies do. I like to feature on my show the companies that take that responsibility early before consumers complain about it or before their consumers have a chance to pollute with their products. Uh-huh. But I do think it's both. Like I think, I think the companies should take more initiative to clean up their own trash and make sure that it stays out of the environment. Um, sometimes companies might go out of business if they can't sell things in in plastic, like it can be a very difficult switch, especially with food, like chocolate, for example. Chocolate's tough because, I mean, you can't really put it in paper. In glass, it kind of just leaves marks and like it melts easy and makes a mess and stuff. So chocolate's a very difficult one. Like, I don't know, but also a lot of the rainforest is being cut down to grow chocolate.
1: But I mean, I've seen bananas wrapped in styrofoam and cling wrap And it's you know it's the old uh, nature gave it a packaging. Why does it need more?
2: Totally, yeah, that's really annoying when when people do that. So I don't know, like I don't. I I think at at some point maybe some regulation is going to have to come in and be like, don't do that. (laughs) Like, don't wrap food that has packaging in more packaging uh, because some of it's just super ridiculous. But again, if the store was thinking about this then we wouldn't need the law because the store would just do the right thing and then if all the customers were doing the right thing then they would complain about that and never buy it and so the issue would get fixed as well so yeah there's a few different levels of solutions but levels that make it problematic to stop it
1: yeah but you'd recommend you know if people are concerned sure you can lobby but but just vote with your dollars buy the the zero waste product
2: Yeah. Like when you see those tomatoes, like just buy the ones that aren't in plastic, send a little message and then you don't have to deal with it. Like I've, I've, uh, every couple months I'll have to put my recycling bins out, but during COVID I've been putting them out every two weeks and it's a pain in the butt to, to take those out to the end of the driveway and clean everything and, and you set them up properly and they have to be sorted properly or like they won't take the stuff and then you have to carry it all back to your house. Like that's annoying. Uh, So it is nice actually to not have to deal with so much recycling and packaging and trash. It makes my life kind of simpler and cleaner and healthier, which I like.
1: Well, I think we've taken enough of your time today. We're going a bit long, but you know, one last thing, we always end food focus with uh, this question. And is there anything we haven't talked about today that you think should be talked about?
2: Um, I think just like kind of at the beginning about what zero waste is that, like I kind of said, it's a little bit like chasing the end of a rainbow. It doesn't matter if you get there and it doesn't matter if you're producing, you know, a bag of trash or if you're down to a jar of your, it, it a year, it does matter. Um, but people are different and it just matters what you can do. So if you just want to make one switch, if you just want to make the goal of bringing your mug every day instead of using those single use coffee cups, that's a a big deal. And we are individuals, but this is a collective problem that's totally worldwide and it's getting worse and worse and worse. So we really need to like work on it now. So if you think, well, I'm just going to have this coffee cup cuz it it doesn't matter I'm just one person but like that's what 7 billion other people are saying. Maybe not for coffee cups. <laughs> not everyone has these single-use coffee cups like access to them, but a lot of people do and a lot of people are using them. So I think it's good for us to think more collectively in terms of all the garbage we're producing and if we can make these tiny little differences, like Switching to a shampoo bar, you're going to save, I don't know, seven or 10 bottles of shampoo a year. But then, you know, if your friend does it, then you're like up to 20. And if your whole street did it, then you'd be saving like thousands. You know, it's a, it is a collective thing and we got to start somewhere. So I would just say, yeah, just pick something that is single use, it's trash and try to get rid of it or replace it. And again, with something you like, like don't, uh, you don't have to ruin your life and go back to living in caves (laughs) to, to be sustainable.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much, Laura. I'm certain uh, we'll be hearing more about zero waste as time goes on, especially once uh, the COVID uh, restrictions start to relax. Thanks again.
2: Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks, Mark. And thanks for doing this podcast. It's awesome. It's a really good topic with food, so it's great. Thanks.
0: As we wrap up this episode, I just wanted to take a minute to uh, say thanks to Max Graham for making us sound great. Uh, We get to have the interesting conversations and Max does the hard work of of cleaning it up. Quick thanks to Zach von Masso for the original music that we use uh, to transition. I also wanted to take a minute to remind you of uh, the foodfocusguelph.ca website. You go check out our blog, which gets updated at least once weekly with issues uh, related to food, just like the podcast, and gives you a place that you can get a hold of us as well. If you want to make suggestions for episodes of the podcast, you have questions, uh, we're open to any of it. And one more reminder that uh, if you enjoy the podcast, uh, submitting a review wherever you get your podcast helps others find us as well. So thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it and stay in touch.